so at some point in your career you get you get to the point of the stage where you can't google the answers to your questions or to your your problems your problems become so nuanced and so specific to your company your position your role that stack overflow actually doesn't have the answer i know that's hard to believe so when you're faced with nebulous decision making how do you actually make sense of what to do next without being able to ask the magic google or chat gpt so anyway, hang out with us until after the intro, and we'll talk about things we've seen work, things we've seen not work, and things that have been abysmal failures. This is Plays Well With Others. So I may have teed that one up a little bit, if I'm honest. Um, I think I know the answer. I know, I know that'll come as a surprise to most of you. I think I know the answer. <laughs> the, All right, tell us the answer. This will be a short episode, two minutes long. The, I think <laughs> We're the, almost the, done, guys. <laughs> right. Stick with us. It'll all fit into YouTube short. <laughs> I think the best way, so if you're faced with this problem of, I've got a. We talked the last two episodes about making making and setting strategy and making sense of all of the choices and stuff that you could do or or might want to do. At some point, you have to make a decision. You have to make the call, and you have to say, "Hey, this is what we're going to do for the next one year, three years, five years." You don't really want to make the wrong call there, right? And when you're faced with a whole bunch of options. In my opinion, it helps to have somebody else that's in your role making the same decisions, whether they're a little bit ahead of you or a little bit behind you. Then you can ask them, hey, so you're a VP of software engineering in a mortgage company, and you're faced with the same questions of how do you approach AIML? Maybe they've already started a program and that program has gone really well. And they they'd say, well, this is what I did and it seems to be working. Or they can say, yeah, this is what I did and it's a dumpster fire. Don't do that. Or alternatively, if they're a little bit behind you and they say, well, we've thought about it. I've not really done anything yet. Then at that point, you've got a sounding board. Hey, well, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat. What do you think about XYZ? What do you think about you know taking this route? And you get that color that is very industry specific, very job specific, and you don't have quite as many of the the it depends answers that you're going to find on the the forums. So this idea of kind of building a network for something other than, you know, recruiting purposes or building your career or something like that is uh, mm-hmm. is very appealing to me who has trouble having a network just to ask them for things. I don't like that. And I don't necessarily like people reaching out to me to ask for things all the time. But this is a community where you can share ideas and you're meeting with peers to, you know, answer questions. And this is a, th- a thought network, right? Like these are people that you can bounce ideas off of, like Andrew said. And I think that there's a lot of different cross sections on how you can build a network like this, right? So for example, you know, I'm a member of a women in technology organization and these are 
women that I can speak to about how they've, you know, handled specific situations or how they, you know, approach certain leadership items or how they, you know, phrase certain things or do certain things. Um, so that's a resource I can reach out to for that sort of thing. What Andrew's talking about, going to conferences, um, you know, getting to know people in the same field that you are in. That's another cross section that you can build a thought network that you would approach with different questions. Um, so it's it's definitely something that for me makes building a network a little bit more ap- appealing. <laughs> I was going to say appetizing, but I guess either one works. <laughs> makes it more appealing because it's something that, you know, you're kind of it's it's like a it's a business friendship. <laughs> it really is. And it's it's not as hard to build that as you might think. So a, a lot of folks, myself included, kind of approached networking from two directions. One, have I worked with you? Have I lived lived in an office with you? That sort of scenario. Okay, you're going to be inner circle professional friend. But then the other was, do I just cold LinkedIn message people? Do I comment on their posts? It's It feels a lot like being back in high school and trying to figure out which table to sit at in the cafeteria. It, I don't like that. That's That feels uncomfortable. But... Mm-hmm. I've learned more about how to do this well in the last six months than I have in my entire life because I've just been doing it and some stuff works. Some stuff doesn't the, the cold LinkedIn message doesn't work a very high percentage of the time. There are strategies to make it work better, but it, it just kind of is what it is. If you've got premium, then you get those premium message tokens and you send out your message and hope they respond. But what I found that strangely works really well, and I, I strangely, I, I don't know why I didn't expect it to work, but I've, so my company is a part of a, a professional group that is a collaboration of, or a consortium of other mortgage lenders. And so it's a smaller organization, but still not, not tiny. But I started joining these Zoom working sessions to talk about technology, to talk about you know, generative AI, cutting edge stuff and how, how all that fits together in the mortgage industry. And I found that by participating in those conversations, I've met more people that are like-minded and are trying to solve the same problems that I have texted, you know, and have texted me because it's, Hey, I've got this really niche problem that I can't freaking figure out and I can't get support to answer for me. Have you seen it before? And they pop back usually yeah, we saw that. Had no idea how to fix it, but we saw it and it eventually went away. Okay, great. Thanks. <laughs> but just by participating in those working sessions, they're free. You know, nobody's charging me for them. I if you're not in a professional group like like we are, there's there's plenty of them. The Azure puts out training days, you know, once a month at least. There are other cold emails that send out professional working groups or, you know, survey groups, Stratmore does them, uh, Gartner does them, all of these webinars where it's, you know, learn about how to justify Gartner spend, that sort of thing. (laughs) But they're out there. And I I found that, that they seem to work pretty well. And it's not, it doesn't feel quite so forced, like me sending out a LinkedIn message to say, please love me. (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's interesting. You mentioned working with someone 
at a previous company and you mentioned like kind of there in your inner soul in, inner circle that I think there's a there's another category of people that you maybe previously worked at that can sometimes be be a good untapped resource from a network perspective if you've worked with someone at a previous company and you weren't very close to them there I've noticed that there's kind of a nostalgia associated with you now even though you weren't necessarily <laughs> close maybe at a previous company you still have the shared experience of having worked within that environment for better or worse. Sometimes it's better if it's worse. <laughs> um, it's sh- trauma bonding. You guys know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but my point is, is that sometimes reaching out um, to someone who you have previously worked with, even if you weren't super close to them, sometimes even better if you weren't super close to them because there's no expectation of friendship already there. There's enough nostalgia associated to, oh my gosh, do you remember this? Do you remember that? You can bond fairly rapidly with someone like that. And now you have another contact that, you know, you can leverage to help think through ideas or kind of keep in your back pocket. So you you may be sitting there and saying, yeah, yeah, I get it. Everybody says you need to be networking because you want to make sure that you're connected with people before you need something so that you don't connect with people just to ask them for a job or for a, a reference or whatever. So you're sitting there saying all of that. Why is this valuable? Why would I do this? I'll give you a, a real specific example that a lot of you may not identify with, but I'll give you the example because I think it's it's beneficial. But so we use... It was part of my job. I, I maintain the technical side of our Workday environment. So a lot of you are familiar with Workday. It's a gargantuan HR information system. It's how we do all of our payroll. It's how we do absent PTO requests, all kinds of stuff. And there's a lot to it. Workday is one of those systems that allows you to pick and choose whatever you want, however you want it to work. And there's very little opinion within Workday. So we had the we had the question. We've got you set up locations within Workday that, and I'm not going to get into Workday training, I promise. But you set up locations in Workday to associate employees with those locations, so you you know where they are, right? And you know, there's different taxes and stuff involved based on where you're working. And the question came up this morning of why do we manage locations the way that we do? Cause it's, it's kind of heavy and there's a lot of data duplication and it's, is weird. It, but it, the answer has always been because mortgage is different and it has requirements. And so I, we're sitting there talking, it was just myself and our, our workday administrator. I said, it would be really helpful if I knew another workday person from another mortgage company. And then I, cause then I could do the scenario that we described earlier where I just text the person and say, hey, how do you think about locations? How do you think about this? Right. And then they would respond and say, well, this is what we do and it works really well or it works really poorly. Oh, and it just occurred to me, I know a workday person at a mortgage company. (laughs) Neither here nor there. But Fantastic. I'll follow up on that after this is over. (laughs) Yeah, that was... The network isn't terribly useful if you don't have the Rolodex and remember that the person's in your network. (laughs) Mercy. All right, so I'll work on that later. But it's going to be really helpful for me to shoot a message to this person and say, this is the problem we're trying to solve. How do you do it now? Because I've talked to this person in the past. 
and they've been really forthcoming with information and how they how they treat their environment, how they look at it because they're mortgage lenders. And you know, this person belongs to a, a mortgage company that's that's much, much larger. So it's not even it's not really like we're competing. Um but in general, people are willing to help and people want to help, especially if it allows them to use their expertise to help. Well, especially if it means that, you know, they now have a relationship where they can also reach out to you. I mean, there is a little bit of, yeah. you know, being able to do that in return. You know, your original question was kind of talking about not every answer is going to have a black and or sorry, not every question is going to have a black and white answer. You know, you're not going to be able to Google how do you do this thing and you're going to get, you know, the exact code written out for you on how to do the thing. And I do think, um, you know, obviously having a network that will support you is a is a incredibly important step in the right direction. However, I think there's some things around that as well, just kind of going back to the original question, that there's a way that you can kind of set yourself up to fail fast, maybe not in every scenario, but where you can. Um, that's something you can think about too, especially when you are talking about having a network where you can reach out and talk through ideas. If you set milestones for yourself as you're implementing change, if you can, in whatever scenario, try something out and don't expect perfection, don't expect it to be perfect. But if you can set it up so you have milestones, so you're t- technically catching if it's a failure really quickly in the process, that can be a really beneficial thing. And it will give you an opportunity to maybe try out things that another one of your networks said, well, this worked for us. All right, let's see if this can work for us and maybe guardrail it a little bit when you're implementing. Yeah, so dig into that a little bit more. Because what what you just did there was you tied socializing and building human connection with almost like a project plan. Yeah, I mean, so you talk to someone and you find out how they've implemented change. Let's take your example in a workday. How do you set up these location codes? Well, maybe you figure out a way to implement that in a small area. All the new branches that are brought on have this new process in place and you watch it for 90 days and you observe whether or not the issues that you've experienced with your current setup are propagated into this new setup. If it works, then you can, you know, expand that into an additional region or something, um, slow roll it. But by doing it in such a small increment, if it's bad, you've only affected a small portion. You can fail pretty quickly at it because you're watching it closely and you have monitoring in place around it. And then you can fix it quickly because it's a small issue. Yeah, yeah. So less on the less on the networking side of things, more on the okay, so now you know a thing. How do you vet what that person How do you told vet you? It? Right. Kind of. But I mean that's true, I think, for any anytime you don't have a black and white answer. And if you're thinking all the way through, I don't have black and white answer, okay, I go to my network, here's what my network says to do. Okay, six people had six different ideas. What do I do now? (laughs) Um, There comes obviously a level of looking at your scenario and trying to figure out what's best for your organization, whiteboarding things out with people trusted within your organization, making sure that you have a plan to implement and monitor and et cetera. I think there's a lot that goes into how do you ensure 
that you are approaching problems without clear solutions in a way that's giving you an opportunity to be successful. Sure. And everything's a tool in the tool belt. So I I don't, I don't want to sit here and recommend that you go talk to your network and do what they tell you every time. But (laughs) if you go into a scenario, then you can totally trust me. eh. (laughs) But, but in all seriousness, if you talk to six people and get six different answers, what that tells me is that the problem is so nuanced and so undefined that you can probably throw a dart and pick a pick an approach and be as successful as anybody else, right? Mm-hmm. So that's where that's where kind of your own self confidence comes in. So if you know that you're a decently competent person and you think you have a good understanding of the problem and everybody else has their own understanding of the problem. Well, then that tells me that that space is ripe for innovation because everybody's doing it a little bit differently and nobody's been vastly successful at it. But so taking it a step further, we talked about, we wanted to answer the question of how do you build some predictability or build some understanding of, of a problem without having the ability to go Google the solution. It's not well-known. It's not well-defined. It's all a little nebulous. It's certainly nuanced because everything's nuanced. We talked about one of the the biggest drivers, in, in my opinion or in our opinion, is that you should be leveraging those personal relationships. You know people that have done it before. And you should be able to leverage their experience to maybe accelerate your experience so you don't have to learn something that they learned the hard way. Or you can at least remove one item. So that approach didn't work, so I'm not going to do that. I'll try a different one. But so we talked a little bit about how you do that. I talked about my experience with, you know, professional working groups and the dreaded LinkedIn cold message, which I would say is an aside. I do appreciate getting professional messages from or peer messages on LinkedIn a lot more than I appreciate the the sales message. Oh, for sure. Like, I, I know y'all are doing a job, so no hard feelings, but... Respect. It's a hard job. Right. I would not want to do it. Exactly. When I get the message from somebody that does what I do or does something similar to what I do, then that's almost immediately read and probably responded to it's respect. (laughs) But from there, we've, we've talked about kind of the, the spray and pray method and LinkedIn message. We've talked about, you know, the next level deep of joining webinars, joining professional working groups, joining calls, that sort of thing. On the other side, I think, I think conferences, because Jess, you mentioned it at the beginning, I think conferences are incredibly valuable. And the the value changes as your role changes. So when I was growing up as a developer, I would go to conferences, and largely in those conferences, you sit and take notes, and you, you, under, you learn something new, you learn a, 
a skill or how people are thinking about a particular thing. Yeah, you're taking away the knowledge that's imparted to you. As you grow in your career, the knowledge imparted to you is sometimes things that you maybe already know with just slightly different nuances, but it's the people that you meet and the ideas that those people will bring to the table that sometimes are the more important ones. Well, yeah, a 21-year-old Andrew would have been terrified at my experience at the conference last week, the Mortgage Collaborative, because I played the hallway track. I went to a handful of sessions just to kind of hear what was going on. But in general, I walked around and talked to people. And I met people that do my job. I met people that do my peers' jobs. And we just exchanged notes. Hey, you're doing 5x the volume that we are what are your challenges? How are you approaching these things? What's your what's your cost per loan? That sort of thing. Yeah. And then, you know, just bouncing around, building relationships and trying to to find people that I can help and find people that can help me. How do you so, start conversations like that? Oh mercy. Um What's what's your line? Your your network pickup line? <laughs> You know, I don't I don't think I have one. Come here and often. <laughs> <laughs> Can I no. buy you a drink? <laughs> well, that so for those that don't know, mortgage professionals can drink. They throw oh, down. Yeah. So the yeah. answer to that question is always yes. And generally <laughs> you go stand <laughs> near the sales guy and let the sales guy buy. But <laughs> No, in general, the the approach that I took, you know, you've got vendors. Vendors are pretty. Vendors yeah. are pretty easy because it's like, hey, you just walk near them and they start the conversation. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you've got a product. I kind of want to know about your product. You want to sell me the product? Cool. Let's let let's exchange information. We're best friends now. It, yes, you will never <laughs> not hear from me. <laughs> I'll call but, you twelve times a week. Yes, but. <laughs> For the the peers, I almost always tried to find common ground. So Mm -hmm. it's pretty easy to do in a session setting. There's a lot of what I was attending were like whiteboarding sessions. Hey, Mm -hmm. we want to use AI. What what are your use cases? How are you thinking about it? And And then right after the session, you go up to the guy that had the good idea and you're like, I really liked what you said about XYZ. Tell me more. Right. Or... You know, hey, I hear you're adopting this product or this tool. How's that going for you? Yeah. What are you what are you experiencing? And or alternatively, it wound up just, hey, I'm Andrew, what's going on? Like, who are you with? That's easy enough, right? And if you find I did Reminds find that if you find the how go ahead. I said if if you find the tech guy all of the tech guys were unreasonably difficult to kind of find common ground with, which is interesting because nobody assumed that there were other tech people there. <laughs> so they just led. They were all in stealth mode. <laughs> right. You, you can't go up to somebody that you expect to be an operations professional and be like, hey, so tell me about your .NET strategy or your Azure cloud strategy is you're weird. Go away. (laughs) But tech guys, we can, we can talk the same language. Yeah. Literally. 
yeah, I mean, most times. It is interesting to think about kind of how those little conversations can snowball into having this, you know, like you said, Rolodex of people that you have an ability to just reach reach out to on a moment's notice and say, hey, how do you deal with this thing? So it's a it's a pretty cool thing. So I think we ought to land the plane at this point um, because the cottonwoods have bloomed and. <laughs> I was I was where Jess was earlier today. We're knocking on death's door here. I got punched in the face by the cottonwood. It was just it was awful. It's not nice. It's <laughs> rude in fact, and we try to avoid going outside in Tennessee until like November. Right. But it's dangerous. So, let let's recap a allergies. bit. Let's recap a little bit. We we talked about we wanted to answer the question of how do you get specific on nebulous opportunities or nebulous challenges that you can't Google anymore? And the core of what we discussed is that you want to use personal relationships and shared human experience. So knowing people, whether you've worked with them, whether you've met them in passing, whether you've talked with them on a professional group or you know a, a vendor call or a conference, there are people out there that are all trying to solve the same problems you are generally about the same time you're trying to solve them. Mm-hmm. So once you reach that point where your knowledge is no longer really well-defined or your expertise is no longer really well-defined, you have to start relying on other people to share what they know that's worked well, what hasn't worked well. And also you have to be willing to do the same that way you know, there's some some synergy and some value. At some point, people are going to get tired of you always asking for questions and never wanting to answer any. Symbiotic but relationship. Exactly. Not parasitic. Don't be a parasite. <laughs> They're anyway, so if you made it this far, as always, thanks for listening. We appreciate all of you that tune in, that download, whether you're on youtube or if you're on the podcast platform of your choice go ahead and and do the needful for me right now take your phone out if you're listening to us as long as you're not driving give us a like subscribe share with your friends especially if they're pseudo technologists or into the professional world or you know just like listening to the sound of our voices because you know i'm not picky i'm not picky but (laughs) No matter how you do it, go ahead, drop us a comment, subscribe, like, share. It helps us out, and it does it does encourage us to keep doing this thing. But in any case, this has been episode 36 of Plays Well With Others. Thanks for listening. <laughs>